0: Hi, and welcome to the Dine Ask Podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick. This episode, I promise, has a happy ending. It's guaranteed. I mean, how could it not when my guest is Brenda Novak, the queen of what's known in literature as the H-E-A. It stands for Happily Ever After. Brenda is a New York Times and USA Today best selling romance novelist of 75 books. 75. Her latest book is called The Seaside Library and she has the greatest book tour ever planned for this spring. We'll talk about that in this episode. Now you can catch up with her. I met Brenda more than a decade ago and we well, several dozen titles ago for Brenda. And it was one of my favorite stories I've ever done. And I what I remember about it is how much I enjoyed the day that I spent with Brenda and her husband, Ted. It was just magical. You ever meet somebody and you're like, how are we not best friends already? <laughs> she, she just had this incredible energy to her and happiness about her story. Now, her personal story was a journey from a mom who was working as a loan officer to a woman who dreams up romance in a guest cottage behind her home. That's what the story was about that I did all those years ago. In fact, I'm just going to play it for you. This is the TV story that explains how Brenda got into writing in the first place. And that alone sounds like the plot out of a movie. So here it is at least 12 years ago.
1: Brenda Novak has murder on the mind. It was the murder that triggered everything. The moment she heard of it, all that Laurel Stewart had been through, all that done. It's page one of what is likely to be another New York Times bestseller from a Harlequin romance novelist fans are in love with. This is number one. Brenda's writing career started years ago with a personal plot twist that could have come straight out of her books. I caught my daycare provider drugging my children with cough syrup um, to get them to sleep so that she could relax, made her job easier. She threw herself into the arms of a romance novel to escape and found a job that would let her work from home. She goes, I could write one of these. I realized, oh my gosh, this is what I've been meant to do all my life. Writing romance was a perfect match. It took five years to sell that first book. But since then, there's no stopping this mom of five. She is a trusted author who has traveled the world researching material, sold four million copies, and yes, even hung out with Fabio. This is where, where it all happens. All of it written in a tiny cottage behind her home where her every waking moment is fueled by imagination and the true love of her life, her husband, Ted.
0: I definitely get a lot of comments about, uh, you know, is your wife writing about you in the book? I let them know that they're all about me.
1: <laughs> there's nothing better than a good romance. And there's nothing better than a happy ending.
0: Good stuff, right? So I think about Brenda and that day a lot. A couple of reasons for that. One, she used to live in a house that was about a mile from mine. So I drive by her old street all the time. And I always remember Brenda when I drive by it. So that's obvious. But the less obvious reason of why I think about Brenda is that I... As I keep up with her on social media, I love how she conducts her life. I really do. She is this mother of five, married for nearly 40 years to the same person, still incredibly in love, as you'll be able to definitely feel in this episode. I love how she's managed an incredibly successful career with incredible grace and generosity to the people who have made her successful, namely her readers. I love how she has constantly pivoted and evolved to meet the needs of a changing industry in publishing. I love how she interacts with her fans. In fact, her latest book is dedicated to one of her Facebook fans in her Facebook book group. And I love that she respects her customers that way and has brought them along on this journey in a really unique way. I'm this time to ask what it means to be a romance writer these days, although that's not all that Brenda does anymore. She has definitely pivoted to write women's fiction and to write some suspense novels. So I'll talk a little bit about how she's navigated being able to do a little bit of everything. How necessity forced her to become a master in something that she didn't necessarily grow up dreaming of doing. She is the queen of the happily ever after. So I'll hit her up for some relationship advice because (laughs) she definitely gets um, the question a lot when she's out on tour because Ted is such a big part of her success. We'll talk about how to recognize and listen to your internal editor. That, Brenda says, is a real reason why she stays on track. Do you have an internal editor? You do. (laughs) We all do. The question is, are we listening to it? And then we'll also talk about what publishing has in common these days with Netflix. Brenda Novak is my guest on this week's Dying to Ask. Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Brenda, it is great to have you on the Dying to Ask podcast today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. I tell people a lot, you know, they'll say, oh, what are some of your more memorable stories? And I always tell them, I don't necessarily remember all the stories, but I do remember some of the days that I had. And the day that I spent with you and your husband, Ted, at least 12 years ago, was one of my favorite days reporting I have honestly ever had. It was the most from beginning to end, well, beginning, middle, and end, I guess I'm talking to an author. Um, It was just delicious. I so enjoyed. And I played, I actually played the story earlier in the show before you came on today.
2: Oh, nice. Oh, that's wonderful. We enjoyed it too. I think it was my daughter, Megan's first encounter with that type of thing. And so she has fond memories of it too. She was kind of part of it that day. Got to
0: she was, it. she was, you know, what's funny is it was kind of the beginning of you exploding, I think as an author, you were already established, you had written a number of books by that point, but it was really before like this complete explosion happened and, and you became as prolific as you are. I mean, we're, I'm joining you now as you're releasing your 75th book. I know. That's hard to believe. I mean, even just typing that many books, let's face it. I mean, the manuscripts
2: would be, it, that would be a lot of work.
0: <laughs> does it feel like when you write that much, does it feel like that to you? Um, it feels, I, I don't know. I'm just, I love my work so
2: much that honestly I'll wake up before dawn sometimes and think, shoot, it's not time to get up yet. And cause I'm just so eager to get to it. And, I just love um, writing. I love every aspect about it. I love the promotion aspect. I love meeting readers. I love doing signings. I love all of it. Um, I am an introvert, so I probably enjoy being behind the computer more often than not. But then those forays out are special because they're different. So yeah. I, I love everything about my job and it's hard to, to sleep long enough before I, you know, thinking, okay, I got to stay here another, another couple hours and then I can hit the computer.
0: There are many people in many careers who would have that level of enthusiasm. Um, after creating as much content as you have and working as many years as you have at your craft, what do you think it is about this for you that you do feel like? Cause you are, you have that same excitement and energy that you did 12 years ago when we chatted. I love it. I think it's that it's a constant challenge.
2: Each book you want to be better than anything you've written before. And it's completely different, right? Completely different set of characters. Um, especially now that I'm doing so much genre mixing with the romantic sus- I've done historicals. I've done a lot of romance. I've done romantic suspense. I've done almost straight suspense. There's a romance running through it, but it's kind of hard hitting. And now I'm doing women's fiction, big beach reads like Ellen Hildebrandt. So I I think it's the constant challenge and being able to, to do different things like that. My publisher has been very generous in there, not trying to, to force me into, no, you've got to do this. Um, and so it's fun to come up with new ideas and try new things constantly. And Um, Always you're you're chasing, trying to do better with the next book, even in sales than you did the last one. So that creates some fun marketing challenges that you get to think creatively even about that. So I think it's the ability to do what I want to do because I'm running my own business, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And
0: it's also that constant challenge and creativity that's involved. I love the genre mixing. Is that unusual to be able to do that? And the reason I ask is I interviewed um, Liz Gilbert last week of Eat, Pray, Love. And Liz has done a lot of things. She's done fiction. She's done the nonfiction. She's done the memoir, several memoirs. Um, yeah. and, and she was saying, you know, she is kind of unusual, but that's just the way she is. It's how she needs to create.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's not extremely unusual. I think it's becoming more common. And there used to be a time when publishers would say, oh, if you're going to write a suspense novel, we need to change your name. And we probably need to go with initials so that they'll think it's a guy because guys sell better in suspense. So they would, they would do this thing for marketing. And now I think they are learning that readers are very smart and they can take cues from the cover. You know, if there's a knife with dripping blood, it's probably a suspense novel. (laughs) It's probably, it's probably not one of her romance novels. exactly exactly so they give <laughs> other clues to the reader that this is the same author and they go ahead and use the same brand the same author and let them branch out which i love because i've always used my own name for everything it's hard enough to build one name right and and have people remember it so to try and build a pseudonym would be i think very difficult then you have to decide two websites or one website with two sections or, there's a lot of decisions involved in that so yeah i think the genre mixing as as the you know, romance industry innovates, they are bleeding over into fantasy and to, you know, a lot of these different genre mixes. And I, I think it's, it's a wonderful thing because it's new and fresh, not mm-hmm. only for us who are creating it, but for those who are reading it.
0: What about the the marketing? You've mentioned marketing, you know, already like maybe three times because it is such a big part of an author's job these days. Yeah, it's totally new. It used to be that publishers were like,
2: Thanks, little girl. You know, we'll take care of the rest. Um, And now they are not like that at all. They're very much more of a partner and they get involved and brainstorm with you different ways. They they assist you, but they are not the full. I mean, they do their thing. They market where you can't get to, you know, like the trades and different things and bookstores. But um, definitely when in interacting with readers, social media has changed the game. So it's put you. In direct contact with the people who are consuming your content, and so it it enables a relationship to be built and a community to be built. And I just I love social media for that reason it kind of gives more of more power in your hands to affect your own future before it was kind of like well if. If the publisher smiles on me and wants to give me a little bit of promotion and marketing money, maybe I can get out there and now yes, you need that too, because they can do a lot more than you can. But this other, you can build sort of a grassroots uh, community and affect your own future that way. So marketing is a big part of becoming an author these days. It's also become much harder to sell unless you have what they call a platform, right? So they Mm -hmm. want to know, well, what have you done in the past, and who's going to buy your book? And and so it's really, really difficult to break into publishing right now. It's the whole landscape has changed with when self-publishing sort of just blew up in 2010, 11, and 12 with Amazon courting self-published authors. They since have become a publisher, so the pendulum has swung. The power swung a little away from that at this point. But it's interesting how it's always changing. New challenges.
0: It's funny, a lot of what you describe is also very similar to what we do in news now. You know, Back in the day, the idea of, of interacting with the viewer was they sent you a letter and you maybe responded, maybe you didn't, or they called and you maybe answered the phone or maybe you didn't. And now there is an expectation, much like there would be for somebody who wants to sell books, that you do have that kind of community and some level of access, which, as you said, does make it kind of fun because at least you know who your your customer is.
2: Yes. And it just allows you to affect your own success, which is wonderful. It is also more work, right? Because you're Mm -hmm. now not only creating your content, um, you are spending time, you know, on social media, interacting with these people. and, And that's a big part of my
0: day. This is, I mean, it's fantastic advice for anybody who's any kind of an entrepreneur.
2: Yes. It, as social media is a huge element now. And I really feel like with people's attention to small businesses too, we're sort of in, and that's a beautiful thing because it gives people, the smaller guy, a chance through social media to be heard and seen and connected with.
0: So you are, every article I read about you these days talks about your interactions with your readers and and how personal a lot of it is. I think your last book or your latest book is actually dedicated to one of your more prolific viewers or readers on, on your Facebook page.
2: Yes. Yes, it is. Actually, I dedicate one book per year to somebody in my book group because we do some fun things with I have a reader challenge where when I don't have a book release out, I actually introduce my readers to a different author. We feature a different author each month. And when they read that book, there's incentives and we have the book group meeting um, where the author actually comes and and. Well, online, you know, we do the the Facebook Live, or sometimes we travel to meet them. Like we've been to um, the Isle of Jersey to meet Peter James and sat in his beautiful English manor. It's gorgeous this this house, um, and you know, with his dogs right on the couch next to us, and interviewing him for the book group, so I can give them sort of an inside peek of what these um, other authors are like. And we've done, you know, uh, really big name authors, Kristen Hanna, We've done Robin Carr. Susan Elizabeth Phillips is um, hopefully going to be. Coming up soon. We've got. We just did J T Ellison. We've done Allison Brennan, and we've done Sandra Brown, and I mean, just so many, so many. Uh, we've been doing it now for six years. So that's one thing that I think readers really love about my group is that it isn't just all about me. It's about yeah. reading and our enjoyment of reading, and we have different genres. Like J T Ellison was our suspense title for March, or was a suspense title. It was for March, um, and that's our only suspense for this year. But we do women's fiction, and we do romance, and we do, and um, we may even do a mystery in the future. So we just you know, try and mix it up and keep it fun. Um, during the pandemic, it was very hard for a lot of women who were older, especially because they were cut off from their family living alone. And so my husband turned into bingo, Ted, and say <laughs> once a week, you know, I
0: remember seeing this. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Just things to to make them happy and brighten their day and, and make them more connected to people so they didn't feel so alone. And it was helpful to us because we got to connect with them. And uh, so it just has been uh, the group was, when alexa suggested it to me i was pretty exhausted because i had been doing a lot of fundraising for diabetes research and it was Mm -hmm. just a huge endeavor for 10 years i ran ran an online um, auction and it was like having a second job and so when i finally kind of just got too exhausted i thought okay i gotta pause this for a little bit she hit me with this book group and i'm like no i know what it would take to build that like it's so (laughs) i don't know if i can face that kind of work And she's like, no, it'll be fun. And, you know, we'll we'll read all these books. And so she sort of talked me into it. And I'm really glad she did, because it's turned out to be the connections and the people in there are the real true value in it. Of course, you know, you build something like that thinking, oh, it'll be for promotion and they'll read my book when it comes out, which thankfully they do. But it's it's more about I mean, they have book buddies in there and And they come out to see me at live events and I get to see them in person and get to know the people I've been interacting with. And so it's more about the relationships than anything.
0: Right. Isn't it funny how much energy you can get out of something as long as you're finding it meaningful and fun? Exactly. If you have those two things, you find the energy to do almost anything. Right. That's absolutely true. Are you still cranking out three books a year? Is that still your
2: average? Yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, even though I only had one release, this is my first release in a year, which is the first time in my 25 year publishing history. Slacker. <laughs> I was still writing, uh, but my publisher was stockpiling them because they want to bring them out in rapid succession. So after interesting. Book, I'm going to have a trilogy that'll be boom, boom, boom. And then my next big beach read. So um, we'll have five within a calendar year, um, wow. you know, which is I didn't write five in a calendar year, but they stockpiled two from this year. So that's
0: actually kind of a fun marketing strategy in its own. I kind of yeah, like that, actually. It. Yeah, it's yeah, a meta-
2: phenomenon, right? Where they're so totally watching. <laughs> Binge. The same thing with reading. <laughs> so I have so many readers tell me, I won't even buy the first book of the series till it's all out. And I feel like telling them, oh, you might want to buy it at least and save it up because that might signal the publisher that nobody wants. <laughs> Series, and you may never get right. the end of it um, but that's why too I think publishers are responding to that need for quick you know like okay you love the first book here's the second here's the third within a
0: you know couple months each that's fascinating I love knowing people's process regardless of what they do for a living so take us through what is an average day like or a week what what are your uh, weeks like these days
2: uh, I just I'm busy 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 yeah. always right. but uh, my husband tells me I'd be going mock one with my hair on fire no matter what I was doing so I think it's
0: true like, he's he's a now. wise man. <laughs>
2: But yeah, no, I get up and hit the computer right away, I do First, I handle email and stuff because I think it's it's uh, easier than creating. So I think you tend to procrastinate the harder stuff, right? So I'll, I'll do some stuff online, make sure I have, you know, whatever I want to post and interact with my group and let some posts through of what they're doing. And then I settle into the writing and I just, I write all day. It's just like a regular nine to five job for me, only it's a little longer than that. Um, but when Ted comes home, then I quit and we enjoy dinner together and we work out together and we watch TV. And m- right now we're, we're huge kings and um Warriors fans so with all the basketball games that have been happening it's been we haven't been able to watch anything else we just watch basketball every night
0: well it's a good year especially if you're a Kings fan <laughs> so.
2: That's true. it's not so good for Warriors they they have been struggling but um for Kings I, and it's their turn man I'm so happy for them yeah
0: what what are your tips when it comes to creativity for people, whether it's writing or creating something else? It feels like, especially post-pandemic, having that thing that is just turned on in your brain, that's not maybe your nine to five job is really more important than ever before. What are yeah. your tips for unlocking your creativity? I think you have to unleash yourself. I think our internal editor
2: is so intense. Oh, they won't like this. Oh, I can't do this. You know, and you hear that and it, it's, It tightens you up and stifles this creativity. But if you can relax and write something you would love, just only please yourself. Don't think of anybody else what would you love to read? What story? What do you want the characters to do? And that just gives you the freedom to put it all out there. And then once you have it all out there, you can shape it and mold it however you want, right? Then you can take a little critical input and say, oh, you know, it's to this or to that, or this character isn't believable, whatever. And you can always fix that, you know? I think it's Nora Roberts who said, I can fix a bad page, but I can't fix a blank page, something like that, I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. That. Um, and that's so true. So I think it's giving ourselves the license to be bad if we if that's how it starts, right? Give yourself permission for it to be bad. Doesn't matter. Just get it out there and then fix it into, you know, you can make it perfect in your own mind once you get it out there. Um, so I think that that is probably my biggest tip for a creativity is just to allow it. A lot of times we stifle it.
0: What do you do to protect your bandwidth? Oh boy.
2: I think it's important to protect yourself emotionally. I find that the, that writer's block for me is a really good thing in that um, it stops me from taking the wrong path down a book. I don't plot my books ahead of time because then I'm bored. I want to know hmm. what happens, kind of like the reader. I want to discover it. And your subconscious sort of seems to jet out a little farther than your conscious mind. So it kind of knows where you're going and it'll just turn off the faucet, so to speak. If you go down a wrong thing very quickly, suddenly the creativity will just dry up for me. And I used to panic and think, oh my gosh, I've plotted myself into a corner. And now I've, I've done it long enough to know wait a second, this is my brain telling me I'm take, I've am i taken a wrong turn. So I have to retrench just a little bit, a few chapters, or even I'll start from the beginning and just read it all the way through and go, okay, it's solid here, solid here. solid. this is where the break is. And then once I fix it, I'm off and writing again. So in that sense, writer's block is a very positive thing for me, where the other kind of writer's block is when something tragic happens in your life, right? And you're struggling to cope, whether that's mm-hmm. divorce or the loss of a child or or whatever horrible thing could happen, you know, know, those things happen to people. And those are the toughest things to get through. So I have to protect myself emotionally, I would say, Um, make sure that I keep my relationships healthy and happy. I think that that protects my ability to create, um, obviously, you know, being wise and taking care of things financially, so you don't get into a gym, just looking ahead a little bit and trying to manage your life well, really helps. Yeah, it's interesting. And your health as well, I would imagine. Exactly. That's another tenant that that is so true. That's why, why I'm, I'm so careful to work out every day. I, I, I run um, five miles and I lift weights for an hour afterwards. So it's, it's an extensive two hour workout. But you have to realize I'm sitting down so many hours that it's like I don't know what they say about sitting down is like smoking so many packs of cigarettes. Right, day. right, right. You know, and, and I'm thinking, well then I am totally, you know, like smoking 10 packs a day because I'm sitting down creating at a computer or doing stuff on the computer all the time. So workouts are are very important. And so is eating. Ted has actually become plant-based um, and he pulled me into it, kicking and screaming. I was not going to give up meat products. I did not want to be that couple that nobody <laughs> wants to bring over because they don't know what, to feed, you know what to feed you. And I'm like, no way. Are we doing this? But he forced me to watch so many doctors and scientists that he was studying that I'm like, oh, we have to do this. It, it is really what's best for us. And it's created such a change. My HbA1c was creeping up to pre-diabetic, uh, my cholesterol was high. The doctor was talking about, you know, putting me on medication to lower my cholesterol. I'm thinking, I feel too good. and I'm too young to be on any medication. I'm not going to do this. And, and so then we had to change our lifestyle. So now my cholesterol within a year, the doctor was like, wow, like I am way down, you know, not even close to pre-diabetic. My cholesterol dropped hundred points. Um, I feel more energetic, all the little weird things that were going wrong with me. Like I would play pickleball and my feet would be, feel like needles were sticking up the bottom of them after like an hour. And now I can run five miles and then go play pickleball for three hours. My feet feel nothing. They feel normal. Like when I was young, it's
0: amazing.
2: Uh, so it's, it's fixed everything. It literally has fixed everything. So I feel like, you know, we sleep great. if As long as you get good rest, you eat well, you work out, that's the best you can do. Then, then the rest is genetics, you know, and something. Yeah can't control. I always
0: do, you know what I lo- do you know what I love about you though? And, and you have done this your entire life from the time you made the decision that I need to be home because I can't trust my child's caretaker in the day when I'm at work. You have just looked at problems and said, I need to be in control. I yeah. need to make a change. I need to do something that will allow mm-hmm. blank to happen. Where does that come from for you? I
2: think it comes from I beat myself up if I if I cause my own problem. Like that's when it really upsets me. If something happens that's out of my control, that's just a tragedy. That can happen to anybody. But if I cause my own misery, I get mm-hmm. so mad at myself and it seems so stupid to me because I think I could have avoided that. All I had to do is look down the road a little bit or change my eating habits or get more rest or, you know what I mean? So I just, I don't know where that comes from, but I just hate causing my own misery. I just don't want to be the cause of it. Um, and there's plenty of misery out there to find people, even if you don't cause it, right? There's so many right. decisions other people make that hurt you. Um, you know, maybe your children. The,
0: the irony being that, you, meaning, being that you cause misery to your character sometimes. <laughs> 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 you like yeah. the misery you can create. <laughs>
2: exactly. exactly. But then I show, and that's that's one thing that's beautiful about reading. If you think about it is yeah. you show these characters overcoming problems and right. even really steep challenges. And I think that that's just inspiring to people because you're thinking you just saw somebody do it. Yes, it was yeah. fiction, but it's it's just inspiring you to try and And okay, I can overcome this and find happiness and
0: solve this problem too. And I just love that. It's really charting your own plot, right? Yeah, Your real life plot. Okay. I've got two more things I want to talk to you about. Um, Let's talk about Ted, because I remember 12 years ago when we did the TV story, one of the things that my partner that day and I talked about afterward was how much we enjoyed your relationship, which I know sounds bizarre. But what I loved was how much fun you guys seem to have together, but also how supportive supportive you were of both, both ventures that you're both working on at the time. And I, it strikes me that for somebody who is known for the happily ever after, you have your happily ever after. So I'm curious to know, do your readers ask you for relationship advice a lot? And if so, what do you offer to people?
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, They don't ask me for relationship advice, but they do love and adore Ted because he loves people, right? So he gets involved right. in- He'll let us, you know, he wants to take pictures and post. He, he wants to, he did bingo Ted during COVID. Like I said, now he's going to be barista Ted for my big tour. He just gets involved because he loves people and he loves me. And I think that, you know, how do you protect a relationship? Because we did really fall deeply in love in the beginning and then you spend 30, eight years together going on 39 years. And so there is maintenance that has to happen along the way. And I think that forgiveness is a big part of it. Um, I always tell him he's the fun of my life because mm-hmm. I'm such a hard worker. I don't know that I would ever stop working if I didn't have somebody who was planning all these fun things. He's the social, you know, so he pulls me out of it enough that then we go and do fun trips and different things. Cause that's what he loves. And I want to be fair to him. And then I have enjoyment from it. And I'm thinking, I often tease him and say, I don't know what I do. Cause you are the fun of my life. So I think part of it is luck, which is kind of hard because, you know, some people like, why can't I have the same thing? And I want them to have that. Um, obviously through my books, that's what I depict too. And, you know, we've had our challenges. I, I don't mean to paint it as idyllic because, you know that that's not real. Um, we've had our challenges too, and times. I think that you fall more in love, and then you kind of it kind of goes like this, right? Closer mm-hmm. and farther, and closer and farther. But um, you have to just really protect that. I think you have to spend time together. I think you have to be fair. I often tell him he's a generous person, and I think I'm a fair person. So if somebody's generous to me, immediately fair back. They're generous. I'm fair back. You see what I mean? So I give him more credit in that because he doesn't he doesn't keep track. He never counts. He's just generous, and I just that's such an elixir for me. I just love that, and it enables me to give as much as I want because he's so generous. I don't have to think he's just take take taking. You know, there, you run into some people who are like that. You just can't give yeah. them enough. And so a lot of it is the personalities, I think the mix. If you, if you're married to a generous person, a generous and a generous person work and a generous person and a fair person work and two fair people work. But if you get a taker in there, Oh, it's kind of hard. And I don't it's know.
0: Challenging.
2: Yeah. I, that, then it's really, really hard. And, and I mean, I'm not a psychologist or anything, um, but I do love to analyze relationships. <laughs> I do love to do that. I do a lot of yeah. analysis of, of relationships and stuff just that I see around me Ted will hear me talk about it and, uh, obviously, but uh, I just, yeah, I use that for my character building
0: a lot of it. Right. No, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Okay. So the two of you, as we wrap up, you two of you are heading out on quite the adventure for your next tour. You have converted an Airstream trailer into basically a book stream. Explain yep. what the plan is. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, when my daughter came up with this, it was last November. She
2: said, mom, you should renovate a vintage Airstream and take it on your next big book tour. And I'm thinking, there's no way I don't know anybody who does vintage airstreams I, like that was a, an idea did not know how to implement I like things I know how to implement like somebody gives me an idea I can see this is point A, this is point B, this is the journey to get there I don't care how much work it is as long as I can see how to get there. And I couldn't see how to get there. So I was no, no, and, and Ted heard us talking he goes, well, Brenda, you know, our, our neighbor, Mike Seipolt, um, down the street just moved to a bigger property so that he can renovate airstreams, they sold their um, gymnastics gym, no way. That is so random and weird. Like, there's no way. So I said, well, what are the chances that Mike has time to do one, that he has one that I can afford and that will be the right size and will work for us? So I'm like, still long shot. You know, he said, well, we, we can call Mike and see. So we called him up and Mike said, you know what? I have this darling little 1963 Globetrotter that has already been gutted so you don't have to waste the inside. And I can give you a good deal because it's already been stripped and that's how I bought it. And I was like, this is uncanny and then meant said, to be. Yeah, meant to be. Because then Ted said, I'll take two months off um, because he sells solar. And he said, I'll take, or he is a solar contractor. He said, I'll take two months off and um, and I'll drive you. So at that point, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I have the three most important elements. I've got to do it. I have a big book coming out that I love, that I think my readers will love. And I can go around and I can meet as many of my members of my book group and readers as as possible. But the problem was when we started charting the journey, (laughs) we got this... Big map out, and we started measuring all the distances of how far we could travel pulling a trailer feasibly in one day. And by the time we charted our journey, it literally looks like the outline of the U.S. and it <laughs> a thousand miles, and it extended into two months and wow. thirty stops. So we are we're like, what did we get ourselves into? This is going to be quite the odyssey. But I've always wanted to see America, and Ted and I are getting older, and I feel like these two months together. Um, they're gonna be wonderful. We're It gonna- sounds
0: magical, and he has learned his barista skills. He's gonna be doing coffee drinks along the way. I mean, yeah, we put a little. This is shop amazing. In bookshop, <laughs> a coffee shop slash books bookstore,
2: and we are going to. He's perfecting unique Ted drinks, Ted loves to be creative and and just make stuff up too. So he has some really fun drinks planned for people. And we've, I've been testing them, you know, and we bought this latte machine. and, And so we've been having a lot of fun with that aspect too. So people can come out and get a signed book. They can get our whole tour package. Lexi had this design, which I think turned out really cute. It shows the Airstream. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. Isn't that cute? And and the book's inside it in a little coffee shop and, and for the tour, it's for the tour packages. And so people can come out and get a copy of the book. Um, this is the new book, uh, the seaside library. And so, yeah, we're excited to meet everybody and have, serve them a drink and, and have our launch party. We're actually going to start here in Sacramento.
0: And tell us what the seaside library is about.
2: Oh, the seaside library is about three, um, Children, well, high schoolers. Uh, when they were in high school, there was a, a man and two women, and they lived on this island, or two girls, and they. Um, the island is very much like Nantucket, and they were very close because they were year, you know, they're year-round, and it, the tourists would come and go, but they they hung tight, and and then one of the tourists, a young girl of 12 years old, goes missing, and um, the the boy Cam was the last to have contact with her and so suspicion sort of falls on him but ariana and ivy are are so you know they love him they they know he's a good person and that oh there's no way so they kind of lie they do lie to cover <laughs> for him to give him an alibi and they're so sure they did the right thing as juniors you know they're just best friends but then of course time goes by and when this girl's body is discovered a decade later all of this comes back to revisit them as adults. This decision that they've made, and you have to ask all these questions: of Did I do the right thing? Did I should, did I hamper an investigation that should have happened? Could he be guilty? Um, what about the girl's family? I mean, they deserve answers. They still don't have their answers, and they're suffering. And so it, it, it brings these three friends. It's kind of something that drew them together at first, but almost threatens to splinter their relationships now that this is all coming back up again. And so Ariana, who has moved away from the island, returns for the summer, and she's thinking about whether she should come forward and she has to face cam again and, and Ivy stayed there. And so anyway, it's, it's basically about these, these relationships and when you
0: can, really God, I can't wait to read this. It sounds so good. Oh, I'll have to send you a copy or maybe you can come to the launch party. I would love, to I would love, time. I would love it. So what are the best ways for people to keep up with you these days?
2: Um, brendanovac.com has all of my events and, uh, has my store where you can get autographed copies or you can get them at any bookstore. Um, you can get, get them along the tour and we pass all of our sales onto the Indies that we are visiting. So we want to support them. So that's probably one way uh, Facebook. is another way I'm very active on Facebook. Like I said, anyone's welcome to join my book group there just by putting in Brenda Novak's book group in the search box. You can find it and uh, follow me on my author, Brenda Novak page too. It was so good to catch
0: up with you again. Uh, it's great to ca- I'm not, I don't want to wait another 12 years though. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> This week's What I'm Listening To is an episode of a podcast called Rethinking with Adam Grant. I'm sure you have heard of or seen Adam Grant interviewed before. He's the organizational psychologist. If you haven't heard Adam speak, look him up on YouTube and listen to some of his TED Talks. Adam is fantastic. Now, he primarily does organizational psychology with how it relates to productivity and how we interact with our, our work colleagues. In his podcast, however, he branches out and brings in other experts to talk about how to rethink the way you do life from a variety of perspectives. So this week's What I'm Listening To ties in with fiction, since we just had Brenda on. And I'm going to recommend an episode that aired on March 14th of Rethinking, and it's called The Psychology of Fiction with Jennifer Lynn Barnes. And so Jennifer Barnes is a fiction writer but she was a researcher in psychology before. And the whole episode is about what draws us to fiction, like what Brenda writes. And why we desperately need it, what it does for us. So I can't recommend it enough. It's so interesting. And it will make you think about the books that you pick up, I think, in a slightly different way. If you have a minute to share the podcast, I would love it if you would. It's easy to do on Apple Podcasts. If you look for the three little dots in the top right-hand corner of what you're listening to right now on your phone hit the dots. It will bring up some options for you to share it. You could text it to somebody, you could email it, or you could just take a screen grab of the episode and share it on your social media accounts. That is the easiest way to get the word out about the Dying to Ask podcast. I'm Georgia Fitzpatrick. Thank you for listening today. Thanks to Brian Lau, as always, for putting these episodes together. And we'll see you next time on Dying to Ask.